0: third time that I've had the opportunity to preach. So uh, I feel that during the first two, we were really just getting to know each other. But now that it's my my third time, I feel our relationship has grown to a point where I can be much more vulnerable and much more transparent with you. And uh, and as a result, my message today, I'm, I'm uh, going to let you know that I have three public and personal confessions that I'm going to make this morning from this from this very spot. In fact, I'm so bold that they will be captured in uh, in pen and ink. I have them in the bulletin for you. Now, public confession, I think, is uh, really good for the soul, but you know what else it's really good for? It's really good for striking abject horror into your family, who are right now wondering, uh, what is he going to say? And I think they're either doing one of two things. Kelly and Haley are either looking at the mental list of things that, yeah, he should be confessing, or perhaps they're saying, I wonder if there's something new that we're going to hear today for the first time. Well, stay tuned. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. So let's get to the first one right away. It's right there in your bullet. Confession number one, I don't pray enough for PCC staff. This realization came about as I was putting this message together and again, understood frankly how much work this is. Now please, no, no tears for Doug here. I learn a ton. In putting these things together, uh, and I enjoy the presenting, and and Craig is a hard guy to say no to, but I could decline doing this, but I don't, but I was laboring over this. It, It really drove home the point, you know, Craig does this every week. I had months to do this. Craig does this every week, and then it was made clear to me that, you know, there are many, many things that go on here at PCC that are a ton of work and things that I take for granted. So over the couple of months I had to put this together, I improved, and I started praying more for PCC, but I've got some, uh, I got some makeup work to do, and I'm going to ask, uh, ask your help on that. Confession leads to action. We have a tradition in Senior High Sunday School of uh, we start with timed, silent prayer. So I'm going to ask your indulgence, and I would like us to take 45 seconds this morning, and if you don't mind, I'd like for us to silently pray for our staff. Um, so Tyler's going to help me with that Tyler's going to say go he's going to time 45 seconds he's going to look at me when we're done and I'll close us so if that's okay let us know Father, we do indeed thank you for, uh, for our staff and all the things that they, they do for us in you as they, as they serve here at PCC. We pray that you would continue to bless them as they labor for us and that those good works that you put in front of them would be clear to them as they serve us here. And now, Father, we pray as we approach your word that your spirit would indeed be with us, that he would be leading us, uh, filtering, Father, highlighting those things that, that we need to hear, that we indeed may grow together we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for that. I I do appreciate that. First time I was here, I preached on my favorite New Testament passage, which was John 21, and the second time, my favorite Old Testament passage, which is 1 Kings 19. Today, I'm going to preach on my favorite verse, my life verse, and I appreciate the opportunity to do that. So turn with me, please, and I encourage you to do that in the written word to uh, Philippians 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. If you pulled out a blue Bible, that is page uh, 831. Now, Philippians is a book of joy. Uh, it is an epistle of, uh, of happiness, really, from Paul to the church at Philippi. Chapter 2 is, could be titled Joy in Serving. And within this chapter is my life verse. Now, here's a trick. I'm not going to tell you what my life verse is right away. So as we go through it, I want you to try to find out and see what you can guess which it is. I'm going to try to keep my comments balanced as we walk through the passage uh, so as not to give it away. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to try. There's a ton of good verses in this section, so there's a lot of good choices. But let's begin. Philippians chapter 2, again, page 831. Verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So in these first two verses, Paul rhetorically lists the things that we have in our Savior. It's quite a list, right? Love, fellowship together as a church body in the Spirit, tenderness, compassion. And then I think he moves to, well, if we have these things, then there really isn't much excuse to not behave in ways that will make me, Paul, really proud, specifically being unified. Uh, Church unity is a really big thing with me, and uh, time prohibits me from giving you all the details. Maybe that's my next sermon. But it was a very diverse yet unified set of believers that was a huge factor in the development of my faith. As I say to my Sunday school class and others, you know, if we are not more united than your soccer team or the Elks or the PTA, then we shouldn't be surprised when folks decide to spend more time there than here. So as a body, how do we develop and demonstrate this unity? I think that's in verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Briefly, we grow in unity here as part of God's body when we individually put others above ourselves. No selfishness, no conceit, we assume other folks are better than we are. We're always looking after the interests of others first. That's a pretty high bar, right? But if you are looking for this group of people to be different than those other groups of people who are around us, this is a great place to start, right? Nobody really does this outside. And when I say uh, uh, unity, I don't mean uniformity. I mean unity. So if we, had to, if we had to say, how are we doing collectively on the church unity scale? Do folks come through our church door, like I did at my first youth group meeting, kind of far away and many years ago, and say, whoa, 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 there's something really different going on here. We see a linkage here in this passage between individual humility and corporate unity. So individually, how are we doing on the humility scale? It can be tough, right? But Paul gives us some practical ways to reach this goal in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So how do we get to being a unified body? We get there by individually being humble. How do we be humble? Well, we be like Christ. And specifically, I suggest having the mind of Christ with respect to selflessness. So I see Jesus showing this to us in two ways. There was neither clutching nor clawing in Jesus' life. So if you look at verse 6, Jesus was willing to give up what he had. He was equal with God. He had God's very nature, but he refused to clutch or desperately and aggressively hold on to what he had. In 7 and 8, once he had forfeited that, there is no sense at all that he in any way tried to claw that status, those benefits, that position back. There is no sense that Jesus ever wanted to regain his position as God. In fact, verse 8 shows that he took this anti-clawing, I suggest, to the ultimate in four stages. First, he became a man, which if you think about it, was quite a come-down right there. He was humble, then he went through death, and perhaps death in the worst way imaginable. So how are we doing on the clutching and the clawing scale, right? That's a tough one, right? We live in a time, a world, a country, a state, an area where stuff seems to be really, really important. And it's easy to get our wants and needs muddled, where we get caught up in, well, if I want something bad enough, isn't that really a need? Well, probably not. And the problem we have is that we know it never ends. John D. Rockefeller, founder of Standard Oil, okay, was a billionaire back in the 19 teens and the 20s. So if you do the math there, he might have been the richest guy ever. He's certainly in the, in the conversation. And when someone asked him, hey, uh, how much is enough? Well, you probably know what he said. He gave the quintessential answer. He said, just a little more. We know, we know what this looks like. I see it at work all the time. You know, if I could just get that next job, that's all I need. I'll stop clutching and clawing if I can just get, you know, you can fill in your own blank. The next job, the next car... Uh, maybe if my fashion was a little trendier I, that's, I just need that next thing maybe the new set of golf clubs i think that one's okay actually that one's all right you can do that uh but it's never enough and, and and we know that but paul shows us the opposite of clutching and clawing give it up and let it go so there's some good verses so far you got a hint yet you have a think think what might be mine it's again there are tough choices So what happens when our attitude becomes more and more like Christ? Well, something good happens. Verse 9, we get exalted. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So uh, uh, humility here is clearly a theme in, in this whole passage. Now, there are at least 200 verses in the Bible about pride and, uh, and humility. But if you're not, I'm only going to give you two. Uh, Proverbs 3, 34 says, He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. Matthew 23 says, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, let's just confess, right? We don't do uh, humility naturally. And when we do, we actually are kind of proud of it at times. But this is one of those opposite themes in Christianity, and one that I suggest is pretty high on God's list. We get honored when we recognize who we are and who we are not. I have a friend at work who kind of puts it this way. She says, first me, second me, third you, maybe. And you know what? I think she's right. I think that's almost not a good day, right? It's kind of about us, right? Well, push on. So Paul summarizes this with, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Here's one reason Paul was so thrilled with the Philippians. They obeyed more in his absence than his presence. So as somebody who just dropped off his firstborn at college last week, I can really relate to this verse, Right? Uh, as far as the presence and the absence. Verse 12 is fairly jarring, right? Scripture is clear that we are saved specifically not on what we do, but through what Christ did for us. So what is Paul getting at here when he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Well, the focus of verse 12 is not work for your salvation, but work out, or work because. Work out your salvation, meaning in your relationships with one another... Uh, live out the salvation Christ has brought you. It's a text that really deals with the outworking of salvation in the believing community for the sake of the world. Now, in case there was any doubt, Paul immediately in verse 13 points to the source and power of any work that we might do. God is on the side of his people. He's not doing it for us, but he's supplying the working power. God empowers both the doing and the willing. That's very encouraging, I think, as we seek to be obedient. So, let's keep going. We see a slightly different direction now as Paul gets very applied. Verse 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you'd hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming From your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. As one commentary put it, Paul goes from preaching to meddling here in verse fourteen. I think it's really interesting that Paul goes from pretty some pretty lofty spiritual teaching to something that seems a bit out of place and a bit jarring as it's so specific and frankly so mundane. To me I think that means that the grumbling and arguing that Paul moves to are really, really corrosive. To building church unity that's on the negative side but also has amazing upsides when we don't practice those things when we as a body don't grumble and argue we are almost shockingly noticeable shining examples to those people who might just come through those doors looking for something different and according to verse 16 something that will get talked about literally forever so i think in our life here at pcc i think we know that line right when we are really looking to make some constructive observations about what we see, and when we are grumbling and arguing. It's tough, right, because we love this place, right? We, we do, and we want to make it better. So individual discernment, I think, is, is really important here. Uh, I was involved in, a, in a, very, a very good local church not too far from here that underwent a large building project. Well, if you ever uh, want to get people's opinion on something, start a building project, right? in a church. There was a lot of discussion about a lot of things, but I especially remember that there were some real grumblings about the floor of the sanctuary, about the color of the floor. Uh, And while overall I think the process was okay, I think we were probably over the line as a body about how much complaining there was about the color of the tiles on the floor. Uh, Funny thing happened, though. That winter, first winter after the building was, was done, there was a pipe that was left uninsulated, and it burst, and it ruined the floor or a big part of the floor. You know, I will let you draw your own conclusions about the message God was, was sending there, but I think that one thought is that God is really bigger than our fancy new space, and he's way above any grumbling and arguing that, that we might be doing. So that's the passage. Therein lies, uh, therein lies my favorite verse. So uh, I don't know what you're thinking, but let's do the big reveal, okay? And I'm going to spend some time explaining why that the winner of my favorite verse in life verse is verse... 13, verse 13, for, and I have it up in the New American Standard as I, I learned it first in that, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love this verse. This verse says he has given us the ability and the desire to do those things that are pleasing to him. I think this verse also implies the opportunity to do these things, but let's look at two verses to explicitly make that clear. The first is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I have a metaphor here. I need to be a little careful about it. But the vision that comes to mind for me in in Ephesians 2.10 here is an Easter egg hunt. Okay. So picture an Easter egg hunt in, in your mind. Mom and dad lay out colorful, bright, sometimes really big, if you use the plastic ones, eggs. And they put them right in the middle of a green patch The little ones go out with their baskets, cute as they can be, right? They find the eggs, they run them back to dad, and they are so proud. And mom and dad make a huge deal, right, about, oh, the eggs are beautiful, they did great. They take the eggs, they give them the basket back, and and out they go again. Now, if you watch Easter egg hunts closely, you'll notice that sometimes around the end are the older siblings, right, who are either, you know, too old or maybe too cool, right, to participate in, in an Easter egg hunt, right? But you know what they're saying, right? They're saying, look, those eggs are so big, they're so colorful, they're in plain sight. You almost trip over them. How could you not find them and bring them back? And yet, look at how my little brother gets praised for doing that as something that's so easy. And the answer to that is exactly. That is exactly right. To me, that's what God does for us. How could we not do those things that God has so many times obviously and brightly, put directly in our paths. Now again, we're not saved by those good works, but we're saved for them. You know, we're not, it's the fruit that's. It's, it's the, not the fruit that saves us, it's the root. But in no way does God hide those things that he's got laid out for us. Matthew 5:16. in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is a verse from the Sermon on the Mount, and I think it really shows the direct linking between our good works and God so much so That even those who don't necessarily share our faith, when they see us doing good things, they don't praise us. They praise our Father in heaven, someone that they may not even know. So clearly, God has given us a significant opportunity to do good work. So if you combine that with Philippians 2.13, you see three things. God has given us the opportunity, the ability, and the desire to do things that please him. I, uh, I just love this verse. I think this verse is also the exact opposite of what many people view God is. It's a deist view of God, which says, okay, look. Okay, I'll give you, there's a God, and he's in heaven, and he might be a pretty good guy. He got the world started, and while he is certainly interested in what's happening down here, he's leaning back, and he's hoping for the best. He's like the clockmaker who wound up the clock and is now just watching what happens as the hands move. That, uh, that is not our God. Our God is leaning forward. Or as that new book says, he's leaning in. He's not just concerned, but he's engaged, he's loving, he's actively involved in our lives as individual believers and as members and attenders here at PCC, equipping us in every way possible to do those things he wants us to do, including giving us the desire to do them. You know, I can sort of understand the opportunity, God giving us chances to do things, and I can kind of get the ability you know, the, the ability to do this thing. The thing that gets me and why this is my life first, it's the desire. Is that he puts in me the desire to do those very things that he wants me to do and that he's going to reward me with. The fix is in. The system is set up to give us every chance to succeed and be rewarded in that. I love this verse. Two quick examples for me of two 13 moments, but as I give my examples, I want you to think about analog situations that might be yours. Um... I'm a sports guy, so I like watching sports. I play sports. I used to play more sports when I was a little younger, uh, but I, I like to play them. I like to watch them. Anything with a ball and a score, I'm, I'm pretty engaged in, right? Second thing is I'm kind of a senior high kid guy. I, I enjoy working with them a lot. They, uh, they keep you young and make you old at the same time. I don't know how that works, but it does, uh, but I really enjoy that. So for me, being involved with youth, youth ministry, I had many opportunities to watch kids play sports. Okay, So given what I like to do, the desire that I have to do, I love doing that. And I, especially before I had my own, I went to a lot of senior high sporting events. And it was great. But you know what happens, right? Parents will come up to me at the event or maybe then Sunday when they saw me and they'd say, hey, I really appreciate you going to that game. My kid really appreciated it. It meant a lot. really helped him. Helped him uh, perhaps even in his faith. And uh, here's what I was doing on the outside. Here's confession number two. On the outside, I'm going, well, I get a tear going sometimes, too. It's hard. It really is. And, you know, it's, it's, part, it's part of the ministry. And I have to rearrange my schedule. And, and, you know, and here it comes. It's just a cross that I have to bear in the ministry. On the inside, I'm going, really? Are you serious? I love doing this. I love kids. I love senior high, uh, senior high kids. I love sports. I don't have to watch your kid play soccer. I get to watch your kid play soccer. And that's, the, that's a two thirteen moments. That That is God giving me the desire to do things that are going to accrue benefit to those kids and to me as well. I love this verse. Uh, another example is teaching Sunday school. Very, very similar. Uh, I have the opportunity, perhaps some ability, and the desire to teach Sunday school. Same thing. Parents come up to me all the time, and please keep coming. I, I really love to hear it thanks for teaching senior high Sunday school I'm going you know what when I'm teaching senior high Sunday school I'm running downhill I love to do it I really do now I know sometimes the kids want me to run a little faster maybe a little shorter I get that I understand that but it's it's the opportunity it's the ability and the desire okay so those are those are my examples and I want you to think about what your examples might be as well So what does it look like when we do that? When a group of people really have those 2-13 moments, things that they're involved in as they serve the church. Revelation 4, 9, and 10 is a very interesting look at that. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy art thou, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created out of the new American standard. So these elders are generally believed to be believers who have been rewarded for their work on earth with these crowns. I love the verb here, especially in the new American standard. It's not clutching or pride over the awards. It's not you know what, I got this crown and, you know, God, maybe you and I can share these. I'll take it some, you can have it some. It's not showing and keeping, it's casting. It's casting. There's a physicality to that verb of take the crown. And I think the reason they cast these crowns is they were totally having a 213 moment, maybe the ultimate one, as they stood in front of our glorious king. Now, I understand God certainly chose to reward them so they clearly deserved it. But the visual here is one of complete humility by these rewarded believers as they got a pure picture of what Christ has done for them. They, they cast. To me, it's like they sort of didn't want any part of the crowns as they realized that it was God who gave them the opportunity, the ability, and the desire. That's a, that's a 213 moment. Uh, I worked for AT&T for many years, and many years ago I was on this big, huge project. Now, my functional piece of this big, whole project was small, so maybe 2 or 3% of my, my role in this big, big, huge project. Uh, but the project ended up going very well. And at a really big meeting, at and we had a lot of employees, right? There was a big auditorium filled with employees. Uh, they, it got out that they were going to surprise this team that I was on, but barely, with an award because it went so well. Uh, and my first thought was I was a little mortified. I did this much. There were people who were nights and weekends for weeks and weeks and weeks on this project who really deserved deserve that award. So I was thinking, well, you know, maybe they won't call me up because I had so little to do. Maybe it will just be the, the people who really worked at it. But no, they called us all up. Okay? And they gave us uh, pens. So some of you remember back in the day when the, the classic gift was those really, really nice pens. They gave us all really, really nice pens. Uh, but I got up there and I took it. But I really didn't want it because I, I felt that I, that I didn't deserve it. Uh, now, I had the opportunity and the ability and the desire to cast that pen. I really did. I could have given it to somebody, but here it is, number three. It was a really nice pen, so I kept the pen. But that—that that is my confession. But that was the moment that I had like, you know what? I kind of kind of understand that a little bit. I didn't feel I deserved it. So before we leave this end times passage, remember that those things that we have, the opportunity, the ability, and desire to do, we're going to get rewarded for those things both now and forever. Uh, I just step back and say, what kind of God does that? And the answer is, is our kind of God. So, perhaps mercifully, I'm out of confessions, at least for now. <laughs> but as I close, let me dangle uh, four potential applic- uh, applications for you. They're the four B's. First, I encourage us, let's be happy. Okay? We serve an amazing God, a Philippians 2.13 God. Now, I-, I know this is my favorite verse and probably not yours. But I hope some of the themes from this verse just want to make you hang out with him a little bit more as we re- reflect what he has done for us. So number one, be happy. Number two, be aware. God has put those Easter eggs out there for us. Those, frankly, very obvious things that he wants us to do as we walk through life. Let's, let's not miss those. Even though they are obvious and easy, we've got to get them in the basket, right? Pick, pick your own, right? You know, I really do need to stop by my elderly neighbor. I haven't been there in a while. Uh, I'm going to vacuum the living room even when it's not my turn. That's an Easter egg, right? I am going to be more vigilant about those prayer requests that come my way. I'm going to say I'm going to pray, and I am going to pray. I'm going to encourage that uh, sort of unencourageable co-worker at work more. Those are the Easter eggs, right? Let's make sure we pick them up. So be aware. Third, I suggest we need to be active listeners. Number three, active listeners. To me, this is the next layer of 213. In what areas has God already given you the opportunity, ability, and desire to do those things that he's placed in your path? And specifically, what areas of service right here at PCC that you sort of have a hankering for? You know, when you hear about it, something goes off in your head a little bit, but you haven't quite pulled the trigger. Let me give you a quick mental exercise. Let's say I could look ahead. God gave me a vision and said, you know what? On Labor Day Sunday, 2014, you we'll be giving a ministry moment right here, right now. Okay? You individually will be giving a ministry moment a year from now. What's the first ministry that comes to your mind on what that moment would be about? So you're probably saying, well, I'm not quite sure what I would say, and I'm pretty sure I don't want to do a ministry moment. But if I did, it would be on what comes first to your head. It could be a lot of things here in the body, right? It could be, boy, we had, a, we had great fun this year in the grounds ministry. We did a lot outside we had great fellowship. We got to know each other. My work in the nursery. You know, I started a junior high Sunday school program. Oh, that's my favorite. Please, someone take that. That'd be wonderful. A short-term mission trip. Uh, my amazing experiences at the home front. What would that be? I would just suggest that that first thought might be a place for you to jump in. And where God is taking, t- taking you to in the place where you can have two thirteen moments. I would suggest don't let that go. Knowing your spiritual gift is a really important part in finding that place, and I really encourage you to do that. But we really do need to look for those places. What is your your, um, version of me watching kids play sports or me teaching Sunday school? I know God has that for you. And fourth and finally, be on the lookout. So I asked you to guess my favorite verse, but that's kind of hard to do, right? You know what was really happening as we went through that passage? The Holy Spirit was pointing out your favorite verse. So we sort of had a hundred or so quiet times going on at the same time where you were in his word looking for insight and application surrounded by prayer that the spirit would lead us. So what verse did you choose? You know, it really wasn't my verse. That was, that was your verse and that's great. But even better, do you have a life verse? Do you have a favorite verse that you can say, yep, this is my favorite verse in the Bible and here's why. Um, if not, I, let me just give you that challenge. Give yourself a timeline You know, by the fall or by Thanksgiving or whatever. I'm going to get a life verse, and I'm going to memorize it, uh, and watch how God and His uh, in His Spirit uh, uses that. So, uh, my confessions are done. My action items are done. Uh, let me just close by saying I really, really do look forward to hearing and uh, seeing all the two thirteen moments that God has uh, has lined up here for PC at PCC. For it is indeed God who is a work in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Pray with me, please. <clears throat> Father, we are amazed that you are a lean in God, that you love us enough to be involved so intimately in who we are and what we do. Father, we just uh, are amazed about the opportunities, the abilities, and even the desires that you have given us to do those things that you want us to do. Father, may, uh, may we indeed be people of action, put those things in our paths that, you would, that indeed you would have us accomplish for you. Father, and we, uh, we look forward as a body to seeing the results of that, for we give you all the glory and honor.